0: Please do join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Luke chapter 4. As we prepare to spend the next few minutes in God's Word, let's ask for His help. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your living and active Word. Father, may... It have its way with us. May your Holy Spirit give us growing understanding of the truth of your word. And give us a growing desire and ability to put it into practice for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we've been away for Luke for like two weeks. So I want us to all go back to Luke 1. Luke 1, I'm going to read the first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So right off the bat, uh, Luke does not leave us hanging. He announces his purpose and his plan because all of us, you know, that prayer is, I believe, help my unbelief. um, All of us have our doubts at times. But Luke is writing to provide certainty about one thing in particular, uh, the person and work of Jesus. And this certainty is not an arrogance, it's it's not an overconfidence, it's rather, as we will see more and more, a a humble certainty, a humble sureness. I was just reading an article the other day that said, um, those who shout the loudest may not be as sure and certain of God's word as those who shine the brightest. It's a humble certainty, a humble sureness. And to accomplish that purpose, Luke's got a plan. He, As you heard, he's going to write an orderly account, a narrative that is historically accurate, thoroughly researched, well organized, organized to show who Jesus is and what he came to do. And I refer all of our attention all the way to chapter 19, verse 10, the end of the time Jesus has with Zacchaeus, or at least part of the time he's with Zacchaeus, when he says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus came to do in his own words, to seek and to save the lost. And as we will work our way through Luke, we will see Jesus seek and save all kinds of people. Lost in all kinds of ways. You see, Luke wants his reader then and now. He wants Theophilus then, his original readers then, and his readers now. He wants us to know for sure that Jesus is for real. He wants us to know for sure that Jesus is for real. And today's text will help us get to know Jesus as he's revealed as he's made known through scripture. Now, this title, The First Sermon of Jesus, I need to expand on that title for a moment. It's the first sermon of Jesus that Luke chose to include first in his gospel. So join with me now as I read verses 14 through 21 of Luke chapter 4. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I grew up in a home with not a lot of rules but I grew up in a home with a few principles and one of the principles or let's call it a rule that my father had was this one if you can't be on time be early do y'all not get that if you can't be on time be early he drilled that into me by his example and by his words uh And here, we're going to see this first sermon, this opening sermon, this inaugural sermon. Now, what would happen if we showed up, not on time, but late when it comes to the gospel according to Luke? What if we showed up late? You know what? We would miss the sermon of Jesus that Luke chooses to orient, to frame the ministry of Jesus You see, Luke brings this sermon that Jesus preached in Nazareth forward and puts it front and center. Because if you pay attention to Mark, this incident in Nazareth takes place kind of in the middle of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. Luke brings it forward and he puts it up front and center. It's the lens to view and govern the way we look at all of Jesus's ministry. So think about it. If we showed up late to Luke, what would we miss? We would miss this sermon and Luke has chosen it in particular to, to, for us to view and govern the way we look at all of Jesus' ministry. If we miss this first sermon, if we're late and miss it, we're not going to be able to understand really what Luke is doing in Luke. Now, although it's a very short sermon, did you notice that the only part of the sermon we got is verse 21? It is short. I mean, how how amazing is that? It's Jesus saying, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's the sermon. It's short, but it's absolutely stunning. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus, Luke wants us to know, he, he's a teacher and a preacher in Galilee. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and the power of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit involved in his conception. The Spirit involved in his time in the temple at age 12. The, the Spirit involved in his baptism. The Spirit involved in leading him into the wilderness. And now, and the power of the Spirit returning to Galilee, preaching and teaching. Jesus is becoming known, the word is getting out, he's becoming popular. And this is without social media, okay? The word is getting out about Jesus of Nazareth. Luke wants us to know that not only is Jesus the teacher and preacher in Galilee, as we see in verses 14 and 15, but Jesus is the faithful church attender. Well, he's the faithful synagogue attender, we see in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, his his hometown. Remember, born in Bethlehem, but his family settled in Nazareth that's where he grew up and he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom he went to the sabbath excuse me he went to the synagogue on the sabbath day and he stood up to read his custom his tradition his practice you know habits traditions practices customs I think they get a bad Wrap, right? Oh, you're just doing this because it's your custom, your tradition, your habit. Well, my friends, there are good habits and bad habits, good customs and bad customs, good traditions and bad traditions. Jesus is doing what is good as a faithful Jew. He's showing up week after week to the synagogue, not the temple, the synagogue, where he had to have at least 10 men to organize this body of professing believers and there would be in a service there'd be singing of the psalms there would be prayer there would be readings the law the prophets and there would be a sermon yes a commentary uh, the explanation and application of what was read I mean this tradition goes back a ways and we see Jesus is being known as a teacher a rabbi he's he's in the, the synagogue and He's being asked to, to to read. He's the preacher of God's word. He he. We see that in verses seventeen, beginning of eighteen, and in twenty and twenty one. He. We don't know if this was the the. He asked for the scroll of Isaiah, one of the prophets. We don't know if that was just there. That was up next. But regardless, it was God's good pleasure, His providence, to. Bring Jesus to Psalm, excuse me, to Isaiah 61, and Jesus found a particular place that describes the ministry of the Lord's servant. Now for those of you may be familiar with those servant songs of the Messiah, you see those in Isaiah as he looks forward to that promised one that's going to come and rescue and redeem and restore God's people. Jesus is going to read god's word but then he's gonna comment on god's word he's going to explain and he's going to apply think about how stunning this sermon is shocking you know every person that stands up here their job is to get out of the way and point to jesus in this sermon in this short commentary, this explanation and application of God's word, it is concise and it is comprehensive. And the sermon that Jesus gives can be summarized like this. Me. Me. No preacher today should get up and say me. He should point to Jesus, the one who in Nazareth on this day, at this time, preached the sermon. Today in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. It's me. Who Isaiah looked ahead to has arrived. It's me. You see, Jesus is aware of his anointing, right? He he heard what happened at his baptism. He's aware of it, and here he's making the claim to be the messianic servant of the Lord. I keep going back to the thing C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. Remember, C.S. Lewis didn't was a, didn't grow up a Christian. He came to faith, and one of his apologetic um, uh, statements was, "Jesus is either a liar." A lunatic or he's the Lord. He's either a liar, like there's never been a liar before. He's either a lunatic, I think he said on the order of a poached egg, or he is who he says he is, the Lord. So the text for this first sermon of Jesus It's from Isaiah. And in his prophecy, Isaiah listed some of the deepest forms of human distress, poverty, captivity, blindness, and oppression. Luke wants his reader then, he wants Theophilus, and he wants his readers now, us, to know that Jesus preached the gospel, the good news, to four kinds of people. The poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. So, For the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Again, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Not only was Jesus sent into Galilee, what, in the power of the Spirit, but Jesus is aware that he has been anointed by the Spirit for a purpose, to to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim good news to the poor. Some translations to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel. Now, who are the poor? Well, the word poor here can cover poverty of every kind. It's not just socioeconomic, although we will see as Luke unfolds the ministry of Jesus, we will see Jesus ministering to the poor. But the emphasis here and throughout Luke is going to be on the, uh, the conscious moral and spiritual poverty. And in the original context, the original Isaiah context, it's the oppressed and exiled people who are awaiting God's salvation. They are awaiting release, they are awaiting a Savior. They're poor, they don't have what's needed, they're underprivileged. And in the present context of Jesus's ministry, it's people still longing for deliverance. You know, they're under Roman rule, at times under Roman oppression, and to be sure they are looking to be out of that, out from under that. But, but at the bottom line is they are longing for some kind of deliverance. They know that they don't have what they, what they need. And so what does Jesus do about their condition? It's interesting, right? It doesn't say he donates money. It doesn't say he establishes a program to, to help the poor uh, have a better self-esteem. No, what does he do? He proclaims good news. He preaches the gospel You know, this is a preview of all of Luke because Jesus will be seen going from place to place preaching the good news. It's a ministry of proclamation first and foremost. He's been called to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim that there is going to be something that will more than make up for your poverty. There's going to be a riches available for you that neither rust nor moth can come in and take. He's proclaiming good news. Remember Jesus came to seek and to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. Jesus came uh, the gospel of Jesus is is for po- for people lost in, in their poverty. Lost in their poverty. You know When you hear that statement, people lost in all kinds of ways, yeah, it's their fault or is it, right? They're lost. I mean, have y'all ever been lost before? Sometimes you make some wrong turns. Sometimes circumstances are beyond your control and you find yourself lost. And in this case, we are reminded that the gospel of Jesus is for us, is for people in their poverty, but not only is Jesus claiming that he has come for the poor, he's also come for the captives. Uh, look how it continues. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Once again, a proclamation ministry. And who are they? Originally, there are those in exile. Presently, there are those in spiritual bondage. You know, when you think some translations say to to uh, liberty to the prisoner, here the captive. And that can broadly, as you see through Luke, broadly include many forms of spiritual bondage. Think about Zacchaeus. He was in bondage to money. Think about people in bondage, as it were, to demonic power. People in bondage to guilt, to sensuality, to hatred. All kinds of captivity we will see in Luke and what does Jesus do about their condition he proclaims liberty he proclaims freedom but Jesus does as you know more than proclaim he actually affects it he proclaims it and he does it and in particular this is a preview in all of Luke and indeed into acts of forgiveness of the power of Jesus to forgive We're going to sing at the end um, a Charles Wesley hymn, And Can It Beat? But there's another Wesley hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues, to sing. And, And this is one of the lines. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. What's Wesley talking about? What would we be talking about when we sing that? Forgiveness, free from guilt, free from condemnation. Remember when Jesus healed a paralytic? Before he healed him physically, he said, Your sins are forgiven. Just to demonstrate his purpose, his calling, his power. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Again, Jesus came to seek and to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. And the the leading edge of lostness may not be poverty. It may be bondage, being trapped, no way out, shackled. The gospel of Jesus is for us, not only in our poverty, but also in our bondage. So Jesus has come for those in poverty, in captivity, but also he's come for those living in blindness. We continue, he sent me to proclaim liberty, but also to proclaim the recovering of sight to the blind. Who are they? Of course, they are people who cannot see physically, but blindness is one of the most common biblical metaphors or word pictures for the spiritual truth that people are blind to truth, blind to the reality of who they are, who God is, that that people who can't see People who will not see. And what does Jesus do about it? What does he do about their condition? He proclaims the recovering of sight. Now, for those of you familiar with the Gospels, and as we will all become more and more familiar with Luke, uh, there's quite a few times where Jesus deals with physical blindness. But of course, it's a sign. It's a picture of something behind the physical blindness, the spiritual blindness. It's a preview of Luke because Jesus' ministry is going to be that of healing physical blindness, but as you know, healing spiritual blindness. Jesus came to seek and to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. The gospel of Jesus is for people in their blindness. Now the fourth kind of person to whom Jesus comes are those who are oppressed. That Isaiah passage continues, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Who are they? Well, the idea is people who are broken in pieces, who are shattered, who are crushed. Read some of the Psalms. We've already gone through a number of them where there's just that heavy oppression of people broken, shattered, crushed. People who are crushed by life's circumstances. There's no way out. A few weeks ago, we sang the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, and there's a line that speaks of bruised and broken by the fall. The fall of man into sin brings people into oppression. And what does Jesus do about their condition? He sets at liberty. He releases. He's, throughout Luke, we will see him healing the sick, casting out demons, forgiving sins, uh, teaching Ethics that promote true justice among people. Jesus came to seek and to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. And the gospel of Jesus is for us in our oppression. He's setting them at liberty. I hope you take some time to think about the something to think about quote. That there's only one kind of liberation that really sets pre- people free for all time. It's the liberation, the freedom found in Jesus. And we will see that throughout Luke. Look at the fulfillment verse again in verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, it's a present fulfillment. You know, the longing, the expectation is coming to an end. It's a present fulfillment, but it's also personal because Jesus is drawing attention to himself. It's being fulfilled in me today, right now. And it's a gracious fulfillment. Look at verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That kind of summarizes all of those verses. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The consolation of Israel promised by Isaiah would find its ultimate expression in Jesus and his message. When Jesus says, it's being fulfilled now in me, He's making it clear from the very beginning that you're going to have to respond to that kind of a message, one way or the other. There is no getting around Jesus saying, you're going to have to deal with me. We saw it in our study of Mark in the middle. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's the question of Jesus that our neighbors in Bellevue, Our family members, our extended family, our co-workers are all going to have to deal with who is Jesus. I mean, my goodness, kids, you know it. The calendar changed because of Jesus. And we know people today whose lives are being changed when they meet the one who preached this sermon Jesus here is promising release and freedom from the burden and bondage of sin. And as I thought about these images of of the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed, I mean, it's as if Jesus burst into a prison and he rescues a man with little to no clothing, little to no possessions, who's blind and he's being stepped on. Jesus rescues the blind man with nothing. The blind man who's being stepped on, who is in prison. We need to say a few things as we wrap up first our text shows us that the ministry of jesus directs and models the ministry of the church look back at verse 15 and he taught in their synagogues the ministry of jesus is a teaching ministry but it's also a doing ministry because later in acts we read in peter's sermon he says this in acts 10 Verse 38, about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what did Jesus do? He taught and he did good. What a model for the ministry of this church to teach and to do good. Now, word and deed ministry It's it's significant that it says word and deed because the word is primary and it leads, but what follows are deeds that illustrate the reality of the word, deeds that that, um, point to the truth of the word. You see, the gospel that saved us is the same gospel that others need. We as a people, as a body, are called to declare the truth of the gospel but also to demonstrate the effects of the gospel in our lives. I tell you what people are watching I spoke to a neighbor the other day here she said oh yeah I've been watching you guys for the last two years. She was talking about the building of course and the renovations to the building but she was also talking about I'm curious as to to what's going on in the building. I'm I'm watching you all. So the ministry of Jesus directs and models the ministry of the church. And you see Jesus teaching, and you see him teaching what he's going to do. Our text also reminds us of some bad news, right, right? It reminds us of our condition, not only before coming to faith in Christ, but anytime we take our eyes off of Christ, right? Yes, he's got us in the grasp. Yes, he's faithful, everlasting love. Yes, yes, yes. But you and I know that if we take our eyes off Jesus, the waves get big, the circumstances tend to dominate, and it reminds us of the the bad news, Jesus had this to say about a church when he wrote to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. He said, for, I say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. To that church in Laodicea that thought of themselves as rich, Jesus is saying, No, no. Apart from me, you're poor. You're in captivity. You're blind. You're oppressed. Who did Jesus come to rescue at the time of this first sermon that Luke chose to include? Who did he come to rescue? The poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. What kind of people does Jesus still come to rescue? And finally, our text declares to us not just the bad news, but it gloriously declares to us the good news, that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Where did Jesus stop reading? For those of you that can quickly get to Isaiah, go to Isaiah 61. And look at verse 2 because this is where Jesus ends, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why didn't he continue with these words, and the day of vengeance of our God? Why did Jesus stop at the year of the Lord's favor and not continue with the vengeance the day of vengeance of our God. You know, judgment will come. But for now, Jesus is here announcing end time amnesty. Luke 4, 14 through 21 is not just a history lesson. To be sure, it is information about the past, but it's more than that. My friends, it is present reality. You see, What year is this? Look on a calendar. It's 2022. What year is this? It's the year of the Lord's favor. God is never in a hurry. God is never late. Rather, God is always right on time. My friends, today is the year of the Lord's favor. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Those of you that are trusting in Jesus right here, right now, rejoice that this word came to you in the year of the Lord's favor. Because at some time, unknown to us, and even Jesus in his humanity, would say, I don't know. Only the Father knows. The calendar's gonna change. And it's gonna go from a year of the Lord's favor to the day of his vengeance, to the day of his judgment, to the day of his justice, Where for believers, it's going to be a glorious day because rights, wrongs are going to be righted. True justice is going to be done. But for those who have yet to respond to this free offer of salvation through faith in Jesus, they will know that it's not a year or a day of the Lord's favor. My friends, may we be encouraged to give thanks to God that we are now in this time of the Lord's favor. And may God give us a growing hunger and a desire to see others come to know Jesus as we have come to know Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for this short but stunning sermon. Father, all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And Father, when the, when the circumstances are difficult and the life is complex, help us to remember this short sermon of Jesus in these words It's me. It's me. Father, turn our eyes, turn our hearts to the only one who can proclaim good news to the poor, who can proclaim liberty to the captives, who can recover the sight of the blind and set free, bring liberty to those who are oppressed. We pray in his name. Amen. Present reality. Uh, we are all.